Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So welcome to 12 Stone. Whoa, got a frog in my throat. Start over. Talk amongst yourselves, 30 seconds. So welcome to 12 Stone. Y'all good this morning? You awake? You live here across the campuses? Glad you are with us. I think you're going to be really glad you made this a part of your weekend. But I want to start by looking into September, and I want to tell you where we're headed and why. See, part of uh, the calling of this church is to be looking ahead and how do we continue to serve the entirety of our church family. And there's seasons where God asks things of us and asks things of me. And there's something that I want to sort of point our attention and your prayer and your invitations to. And in September, we're going to be doing a series called 12 Stone Tailgate. And there's going to be a vibe that's sort of a sports. If, you've, if your kids watch Dude Perfect, we're going to have some fun with some Dude Perfect sort of stuff. It's going to be a fun series, and it's for everybody. But I, I want to just declare it unapologetically. Part of what God is calling us to do in September, like, we're going to talk to dads. Like, dads, let me say it this way. I'm coming for you. Because here's, here's what I'll tell you. I can't wait to share some of the stats and things that I've been doing research on. As a dad goes, so does a family. Which means as a family goes, as does a culture. As a culture goes, as does a society and a country go. And so what God's called us to do in September is to go have some conversations with dads. And we, here's what I believe. Dads, you want to lead the sacred and spiritual things in your home. And if you had the tools, you would do it. And so part of what we're going to do in September is, dads, we're going to help equip you and speak to you. And there's things for all of us. But in September, you might consider inviting a friend of yours that's a father. If you're a dad watching and you're like, I don't know if I can make September work, you're going to want to be here all three weeks of September. There's actually invitations this is clever. It's in the shape of a pennant. Anyway, uh, you, you can actually grab these on the way out. 12 Stone Home will tell you about how you can invite some people into your home groups. But we want to make this an invitation, high invite, high fun, high impact series for all of us, but specifically for dads. And, and as a part of that, I'm making some shifts in our Saturday morning prayer. And here's the first thing you need to know. Dads, starting September 9th, Saturday morning, I'm inviting you, if I could say it this way, I'm calling dads to prayer. Like, would you consider coming to prayer Saturday morning at our central campus for the three weeks of this series? And I'm, I'm making some shifts to make it easier. Currently, prayer is at 8 a.m. Dads, this is because I love you and I love me. Prayer is now going to be at 9 a.m. starting September 9th. Praise God. That extra hour is like just a big hug from God. I love you. I care about you. So we're moving it from 8 to 9. And then listen. At least for the next 100 days, we've talked about this first 100 days of my leadership, we're not going to stream prayer online. And for some of you, I get it. Some of you, I get that. Can I be, let me just be direct. There are places where I need to be not broadcast and performing on a stage. There's places I, for my soul, that I need to be a son and I need to not think about all the things because what it would do in my soul, it just gets, it's hard. And equally, everything else we do, we broadcast for you to consume at any day or time. It's easy. There has to be something that has a cost to it. And if, if it's valuable, 
you pay the price and you, you pay the cost. And so if there is a place that we believe there needs to be some gravity, some cost to it, we believe that's prayer. And so starting at least for the first 100 days, we'll let you know. But starting September 9th, prayers at 9 a.m., it's not streamed. Come to Central Campus, pay the price, and we're going to meet with God. And dads, I'm going to speak directly to you, and I want to help you leave knowing what we're doing the next day in the series and how you can bring that in the life of your kids and your family and your parenting because God has something for us. So today, look at your neighbor and say, uh, 12 Stone Tailgate. Tell them what we're doing in September. Look at your neighbor, catch a breath. 12 Stone Tailgate is what we're doing. Now for today... We are in a series we're calling Everybody Can, because we believe everybody can. Here's what Romans says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. To who? Everyone who believes. This is the good news of Jesus. Here's how we say it. Everybody can know God, and everybody can find freedom, and everybody can discover the purpose for which they were created, and then Everybody can make a difference, and today we talk about everybody can find freedom. Say, find freedom. freedom. Now, I want you to catch the gravity. The conversation around freedom is so misunderstood that it is simultaneously the reason why I follow Jesus and many others don't and don't want to. The misunderstanding around freedom is a is a pivotal sort of fork-in-the-road conversation that until you understand it, you're not going to get this whole Jesus thing. Why would you want to know God if you don't understand what freedom is? And I get it, because if I understood freedom like many of you do, I wouldn't follow Jesus either. Like, I grew up in a church that made Jesus sound constricting, the opposite of freedom. And listen, there are some Christians who have Jesus' forgiveness but not his freedom because you don't understand freedom. And, and the first thing God wants to do is transform how you view freedom. And I think if you'll listen and if you'll lean in, God has something today that could unlock things and bring freedom to places you felt captive and limited and sort of imprisoned for a long time. Here's how Romans speaks to freedom in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Here's how Paul says it. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free, praise Jesus, from the law of sin and death. He set us free. And you look at that and go, that's awesome. What does that really mean? So I want to give you a picture. And just before you judge me, let me just say it and go with me and trust I have a, I have a plan. Here, here's what I want to say. Everybody in life visits the zoo. So I told you, go with me. Have you ever been to a zoo? Hands up here across the campuses. Any zoo ever in your life? Okay. Uh, in Atlanta, we have this really actually nice and safe and beautiful zoo called Zoo Atlanta. Who's ever been to Zoo Atlanta? If you're in a home group, tell them the local zoo if you've been there. Zoo Atlanta is a blast. And we've taken our kids there a couple times over the years. They have a blast. Lizzie's favorite animal is a giraffe. Like, she loves to walk up and see this long-necked giraffe. She thinks, it's, I don't get it, but she loves it. In fact, do this. On three, everybody shout your, what's like, what's your favorite animal? If you were going to a zoo, what's the one you have to see? Favorite animal? One, two, three. I heard a rhino. I heard a lion. Good answers. My, my daughter's is, is giraffe. So we have a nice zoo called Zoo Atlanta. 
We also here in Atlanta, you probably might, might not know about it. There's another zoo that's less nice, that is uh, less safe, but equally it's less expensive. And about a decade ago, I took my family to this zoo, and it's going to rena- re- remain nameless, and you'll know why in a second. Uh, we went there, and we pulled in, and we were excited for a day to see animals. And like the website back then said, like, animals up close and personal. We're like, this is going to be great. Zoo Atlanta is so big, it's far away. This was closer. We show up to the zoo, and immediately I start catching things that make my alarm bells go off. I, I start to notice, like, man, the hinges on some of these gates are pretty rusty. And I'm like, man, that wood looks like it's older than me. And it's like, put my finger through that, that door. And some of these fences, like, and I'm walking through the zoo going, this place is sketchy. You ever been somewhere and before you're like even in the door, like, this is, this is sketchy. And so we start walking around and it starts okay. And the kids don't notice any of it. Like, this is awesome. And then I start to notice zookeepers, and I put it in quotes because they're really like 16-year-old girls in a t-shirt that says zookeeper. They're not trained. Uh, chasing animals in the zoo. And I'm like, that's not supposed to be out. That's supposed to be in one of the cages. And there's a birds of prey exhibit where several birds of prey got out, talons the size of my hand, flying around, and high school girls chasing these things. And, and the kids are like, this is awesome. Amber and I are like, this is the best zoo ever. And I'm walking around all day, like literally I'm in protection mode. Like I, I'm going, there's a chance. I never woke up thinking this, but I left thinking this. There's a chance I'm going to fight a large bird today. You ever thought that? I'm like, this is going down. And I'm thinking if that like ostrich comes this way, I feel like the neck, like that's the way to go. I don't know. Beak feels sharp. Neck feels good, and those feet are scared. So I'm like, I'm prepared to fight a bird all day long. Now, luckily, we get to the car. We survive. And literally, I got in the car. When the doors shut, I went, oh. All day long, I was terrified. Because, listen, that zoo was supposed to be an awesome experience. But when I got there, it was basically Jurassic Park on a shoestring budget. You see, that... That zoo, I'm not going to tell you the name, has been embroiled in lawsuits for several years and I believe is now under new ownership. So hopefully they fixed what was going on. But I felt anything but freedom in that zoo. Just, just go with me. I showed up ready for a lighthearted fun day with the kids and I was on defense mode all day long. I did not feel any sense of freedom. So back to the thought. We all visit zoos. The question is, you're going to a good zoo or a bad zoo? And let me just give you my criteria. Here's my criteria for a good zoo. Here, first one, strong fences. Second, well, well-maintained fences. Third, yeah, basically fences. Like my, my, the bar has been lowered for me. Like it used to be, I want all the good animals. No, I just want the animals behind fences. So here, here's what I want to say. Just go. My premise is if you want freedom, you need to embrace fences. And it feels counterintuitive until you've been to a death zoo. You say, I want freedom, and then you go, but if you want freedom, you have to actually embrace fences. Because fences are actually what give you freedom. A zoo without fences is anything but free. Terrifying. I've been there. It's a terrifying thought. You see, the the purpose of of a good zoo is to actually... Not limit your freedom, 
but to maximize it. In Zoo Atlanta, they put up fences that let you get as close to the animals as possible before you get eaten. Right? Remove the fence. I'm stepping back. Put a fence in a good place, and I can actually get closer to the animals than I, than I thought. In fact, just to be overly clear, here's three thoughts about fences. Fences actually exist for our benefit. Fences keep bad things out and good things in. And a well-placed fence maximizes freedom and minimizes danger. In fact, let me play this out a little bit. This is a baby gate, but for today it's a fence. Like when you first buy these, any parents that are in the baby gate stage, I'm just curious here across the campuses. All right, baby gates. You're also in no sleep mode, so God help you pray for you. you when you have kids, you put these up at the top of stairs because kids don't know better and they'll tumble down the stairs. Right? Okay. When I was a kid, actually, they didn't have these. I fell down the basement stairs. Explains a lot about my brain. Anyway, so this is a baby gate, but this is a fence. And this represents some sort of zoo. And those are stuffed animals, but pretend those are wild animals. Okay? So the purpose of this fence is to keep the dangerous, bad, scary things out and to keep the good things good in, on the inside here. And, and I can get as close to this gate as I, as I want because... The gate, the fence actually protects me from the danger on the other side. And you need to catch this. In Scripture, God has fences. And the reason God has fences are for our benefit, to keep bad things out and keep good things in, and to maximize freedom, not minimize it. So when you read Scripture, God was kind enough to not just give you the big theology behind salvation, the gospel, but to speak to almost every area of life. And so let me just give you examples. God has fences for our finances. Like we just received offering. We talked about God gets our first and our best. Because when our heart is aligned to him first and best, it, it trickles down into gratitude and, and, a, and a healthy place everywhere else. And God says, live generously with your finances. Don't be selfish. That's a fence for our finances. In our friendships, listen, don't be about yourself all the time. Don't always talk about yourself. Don't make people have to serve you. Serve people. That's a fence in friendship. In marriage, sacrifice for your spouse. Put them first. Invest in your marriage. These are godly fences for your marriage. In parenting, be attentive. Raise them in God's truth. Don't, Proverbs even says, don't frustrate your kids. Like, pour into them for our sexual ethic. Listen, save yourself for marriage. God has fences for how sex is supposed to be played out. One woman, one man for all of life. That's a fence that God puts in place. In your career, your work, work like God's your boss. Like you might have a terrible boss and that's okay because he's not your actual boss. She's not your actual boss. God is. So you work for that. Y'all have terrible bosses. God help you. I'm so sorry about that. Wait, you work at the church. Kidding. Anyway, um, here, here's the point. The fences God designed were put in place to actually produce a life of freedom. Go back to the zoo. If God's fences are in place, you have a freedom. You don't have to live in regret and shame and the carnage of a, of a life with no fences. But here's the problem. Let me, be, let me be personal. Here's my problem. I have a sinful nature. I have appetites and desires. I know you think I'm perfect. Just ask my wife. I am anything but. I have, here's how Paul says it, Romans 8. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law. 
And don't raise your hands. But you felt that. And here's, here's the, the lie of sin. The lie of sin says that God's fences limit my freedom. All the things I just walked through, God's fences. God, you're keeping me from. In the Bible, man, I read this thing. It just feels like it's just fencing me in on all sides. And look at all out there that I could experience, and you're limiting me. See, Satan says, listen, do what you want, and you will be free. We all want freedom. How do you get it? Do what you want, and you'll be free. Spend what you want, and you will be free. Come on, somebody. Sleep with who you want. Freedom. Do whatever you want all the time. Feed that, that sinful nature, and you'll be free. And listen, if anybody or anything or even God tells you no, they're limiting your freedom. And this is where we get messed up in the freedom conversation. Take it back to the garden. Genesis 3, God created the heavens and the earth and a perfect earth, and God gave Adam and Eve total freedom and put one little fence around one little tree. Just don't eat that one. Do what else, anything you want. You're both naked in love. Knock yourself out. Eat fruit, love life, do what you want. One tree, one fence. And what does Satan do? He never majors on the freedom of everything else. He goes, what about that one fence? Doesn't that feel limiting? If God loved you, he'd let you eat that one tree. And the lie we believe is if, listen, if God cared about me, he wouldn't put up fences. In fact, there's actually scientifically, sociologically, a, a line of thinking. It's called this absolute negative freedom. You might not have heard of it before, but here's the definition of it. The thought that freedom can only be experienced when we have no constraints, no limits, and no fences limiting what we can do, think, or be. Like the only way to experience freedom is to have no, no boundaries anywhere. And anything short of that, you're not living in freedom. You're living in limits and restraints and like prison cell feelings. I'm telling you, you might look at this and say, I don't believe the absolute negative freedom absolutely, but you believe it a little bit. You start to feel like this is what God does is he's limiting. Same list I just read. God has fences for finances. God's first. God's best. Live generous. That starts to feel like I only I start with 90%. Like, God, you're limiting my life. Like, friendships serve and be about other people. I'm always the good friend. They never serve me. This is limiting. In marriage, I'm the one who always sacrifices. It's my turn to sleep in. It's my time not to serve. You're limiting my freedom in parenting. They are never grateful. I don't even say thank you. Why do I have to be the one that serves all the time? Why do I have to be the one that makes lunches every day? That's limiting me. Your career, your you got a bad boss, guess what? Then you get a bad employee. God, you're limiting me. Tell me to serve him or her like you. This starts to feel limiting, and you can start to believe that life would be more fun on the other side of the fence. Because it, it starts to feel limiting and listen you go to the zoo to see the animals and you you want to have fun and make memories and you can start to live in the zoo of life long enough where you start looking going I mean this is okay but those fences are like so limiting to my life like dude those those animals over there like they're gosh 
You know what's scary? Bears are so cuddly until you see one that's hungry. You ever notice that? Like bears look cute until they're hungry, but like I'm on this side of the fence and it's like, you know what would be sick? Like what if, what if I climbed over the fence and got a picture from my Instagram petting a lion? Like dude, it would go crazy. Like it would be awesome. And you start to tell yourself, listen, this fence is limiting my freedom. It's keeping me from like something really cool and, and really fun in life. And, and, and you want to start thinking that if I climb over the fence, I'll actually find freedom. But here's the problem. I promise you it would be fun for a while. You might even get your picture. But after the first 30 seconds, you might not live long enough to post it. Because that's a wild animal over there. In fact, the reason that Hebrews says that sin is fun for a season is because the first 30 seconds of sin usually is fun. It feels freeing. And you can climb over the fence and the first 30 seconds say, God lied. Sin is a blast. Like, dude, I'm petting a lion right now, dude. No one else gets to do this. And you start looking back over the fence going, you guys are losers. You're missing out. Like, you could be doing this. Look how free my life is. I can run around the lion cage. Look what I'm doing. Here's our problem. We have got to stop defining freedom as the first 30 seconds over the fence. Because we tell the stories of freedom and then cut the cameras after 30 seconds. Because at second number 31, the lion's eating the guy. And don't pretend that this is not how we do life. In fact, like when I grew up, let me say it this way. The lie of sin is that, is that freedom is the result of it. Like if you sin, you get freedom. That's a lie. The lie the church has told for too long, including when I grew up, is that sin isn't fun. Like when I grew up, like my parents were like, it's not fun. Well, I went to high school and then started going to parties and going, my friends look like they're having an absolute blast. And my parents were like, nope, it's not fun. And I'm like, you've not been to a party. It's pretty fun. But listen to me. The first two drinks are a blast. The fourth and the fifth one, the next morning, if you define freedom, the first 30 seconds over the fence, you're missing it. Like God's not saying, I don't want you to have the first 30 seconds of fun. He goes, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the next 30 years. See, we, 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 we play the video up to 30 seconds and cut and go, that looks like I want to be over there with the lions. That looks awesome. Because we never tell the second half of the story. And the lie of Satan is he wants you to stop after. Listen, it's not the first 30 seconds of pornography that destroys your life. It's not the first 10 minutes of overeating that destroys your health. It's, it's not the first time you swipe your credit card for something you can't afford. It's how it plays out over time. And we have an enemy. First Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You only climb fences that you think have stuffed animals on the other side, not real lions. And so you start to convince yourself that sin will deliver freedom, but in the end, it devours you. Second Peter is talking about the false teachers that, that are telling the church what to do. And here's what he says. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. And this is why the world never tells the rest of the story. See, they don't finish the story after adultery. They hop over the fence. That was a blast. 
adventurous. Cut the tape. What they don't tell is about a divorce, fallout with kids. And now guess what? Some other dude might walk your daughter down the aisle. Guess what? Your kids have to do two Thanksgivings and two Christmases for the rest of their life. Every family event from here on out, messy. Now, there's redemption and forgiveness. God can, but celebrate the 30 seconds of adultery. Don't tell the rest of the story. Listen, we, we don't finish the story on overspending. Your buddy comes, dude, I bought a boat. I'm like, what? We work at the same job and make the same amount of money. How'd you get a boat? Dude, I got a great deal on this credit, and the, the bank's going to give it to me, and it's like only $1,300 a month, and I'll cut back on some stuff. And like, which, what we do in our culture is we celebrate the 30 seconds on the boat. It's Saturday, lake day, lake life, cut. And then you don't talk about on Tuesday, you're eating rice and beans because you can't afford to make your boat payment. Like, listen, we celebrate the first 30 seconds. We don't finish the story on unrestrained drinking and partying, the fallout, the hangover. We measure freedom by the first 30 seconds over the fence. And God goes, yeah, I measure freedom about 30 years from now. See, if we're honest, it's so easy for us to conclude that God's definition of freedom is limiting. Because the first 30 seconds feels really free. No one tells you the rest of the story. See, let me tell you how it plays out for me. Like, I love food. Anybody? Like, me love, if I'm a caveman, me love food. I love food. Yeah. Steak, chicken, sauces, fried things, cheese, fried things with cheese. Like, it's good. All of it's good. And I recently got a Blackstone a couple, maybe a year ago. So, dude, like, I love Blackstone. Like, backyard in fact, if I had time, I've got a burn on my shin that I probably should have seen somebody about from an oil that popped off. But I was like, keep going, Blackstone, let's get this food. So I'm making food. And I, I, make, I make a pretty mean hibachi, which is like fried rice, eggs, the whole deal. The problem with, with, with this is I don't start cooking until I'm already like at a 7 out of 10 hungry. And hibachi takes a little bit. Like smash burgers, it's like 13 seconds and you can just pound it. But hibachi, like you start with vegetables. Get those rice, set them aside. Then you do the rice, and that takes a while. Then you get to the steak, because that cooks quicker, and I want it a little bit raw. Tiny bit of blood, not a lot. Then you got to do the chicken. That takes a while. And then when it's, by the time it's all done, I started at a 7 out of 10 hungry. Now I'm at a 12. So what do I ask my wife? What I do is by the time I'm done, I clean the grill, go in the kitchen, and just start piling rice and chicken and yum-yum sauce. Come on, somebody. Yum-yum sauce on the rice. And I... I eat it at a speed that my, my stomach can't tell my brain, you're full, bro. Like, it can't communicate quick enough. And every time I eat hibachi, I, 15 minutes after I'm done eating, I go, I hate myself. <laughs> I feel disgusting. Like, I look in the mirror, and I'm like, you're, t who, you're awful. What have you done? And listen, if you saw me at the dinner table, this is what you'd have seen. <laughs> this is so good. I love it. Cut to tape. You weren't, you weren't with me at 3 a.m. when I'm just tossing tums back like beer nuts at a bar. Just, I, I'm going to throw up and have heartburn. And here's what I do. Every time I do that, I go, I tell my wife, Amber, I'm never doing that again. And she goes, okay. <laughs> and I don't until I make hibachi again. And listen to me. Here's how Paul explains this wrestling with our appetites, freedoms we're looking for. Here's how Paul says it. 
I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But, but what I hate, I do. As it is, it is no longer on myself who do it, but it is sin living inside of me. For I have the desire to do what is good. I don't want to eat three plates of hibachi, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. You know what I love about the Bible? It keeps that stuff in there. Because it's you. It's me. I'll never do the hibachi, pound it, and feel gross ever again. Then I do it again. You're like, man, aren't you supposed to be the new senior pastor? This is how you live? Yeah, I do. Because I like food. Deal with it. See, I, and I know better. But there's one or two things. Like, I know better that if I go pound that hibachi, I know what's on the other side of that fence. Like, I know God gives a godly fence for how you eat, balance in your life, and you shouldn't sit down and consume 4,000 calories in one meal. I get that. But I know better, but there's still one or two places in my life where I'm, I sort of wake up with one leg over the fence. Anybody? Like, there's places where I'm vulnerable that even though I know better, I want to climb over the fence. And the danger is that if it can happen for Paul, it can happen for us. Sin just wants to tell you, listen, climb over the fence, you'll find freedom. But here's the truth of Scripture, is that true freedom only exists on God's side of the fence. Like, you can't beat it. You can't change it. You can believe something different, but call me in 10 years. True freedom only exists on God's side of the fence. Tim Keller says this, freedom is not the absence of constraints, fence is my word, but finding the right ones that those that fit our nature and actually liberate us. The, 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 the way to find freedom is not to tear down fences, is to pick the right ones. The way you find freedom in a zoo is not to remove the fences, is to have good fences in the right places. Because otherwise, it turns into a death zoo like I experienced. And God could change everything in your life if you just started agreeing with his fences. If you're honest, the places where you Chased freedom the hardest, but jumped over fences is actually where you feel most imprisoned. We love to look at God and go, you limited my freedom. And God, what if you just stayed on my side of the fence, you'd be experiencing freedom now that you could never dream of. But we get caught up in this because when I, take, when I took my kids to that first zoo, I was on protection mode because my job is to protect my kids beauty of the Atlanta Zoo is I don't have to be in protection mode because the fences are there to protect them. The same is true as God parents as you and I. God's deal with all the fences he puts up for our life is not a judge going, you better not break the law because I'm coming to get you. It's a father going, I want you to experience life how I designed it in freedom. But if you tear my fences down, you will live bondage for forever. To your credit card company, to your appetites, your lusts. And if I'm not careful, there's two or three places, man, that I could, I'm so vulnerable. And I, I tell you this because when my church would not admit that sin was fun when I was a kid, it messed me up. Because when I saw that sin was fun, I thought it was always fun. Then it told me it's just the first 30 seconds. Then it's terrible. Let me tell you this. 
I'm not perfect. I have things that I wake up in the morning, my feet hit the floor, and my, it feels like my leg is one leg over the fence as I wake up. And I have to battle that sin. Some of it's food, lust. My cardinal sin is anger. If I climb over God's fences with my emotions and my anger, like I know how I start getting closer and closer. If I let myself feed that, I go from one leg over the fence to two fast. And I know what it will do. It will be like a wild animal destroying my kids. There's things I could say in anger that they will live inside of the, the fallout for the rest of their life. I know my, I know mine. Do you know yours? Do you know the places that you're like, Paul, I don't want to do it, but I do it. And then I want to do this, but then I, I don't do the things I actually want to do. And do you know yours? Pornography. I say that because every stat says 85% of everybody in this room, that's a struggle. And you believe, listen, it's just, it's, it's okay. It's to be fun over there for 30 seconds, but not for the rest of your life. Because now you're comparing your spouse to what you just watched for the rest of your life. Or you're single and go, marriage will fix it. Nah, it doesn't. Is yours in abusing alcohol? Man, you can do two drinks and you're great, but you can't stop. You wake up the next morning feeling like trash, going, how did I do that again? You just have to know, do you know where yours are? Overspending, overeating, laziness, pride, anger like me. Maybe for you, like if, if you just let yourself jump the fence, you drive to that one person's house, punch him in the face and say, you know what that's for. And that would feel so, like it would feel good to me. But do, do you know where your bent is? Do you know where you're vulnerable? Do you know where the other side of the fence looks good even though you know it'll destroy you? See, you'll never find freedom on the other side of the fence, only on God's side of the fence. And if we can't get honest about this here, we're going to be a church full of people that sings freely on the weekends and lives imprisoned. See, Romans, back to the first verse. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin, meaning you don't have to live in bondage to sin anymore. You still have to battle it, but you don't have to live in the bondage of it. And Jesus doesn't just forgive you, he frees you. And many of us think of this Jesus peace like it'll get me to heaven one day. And yes, salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. That's how you get to God. But Jesus is also how you get out of the hell of what this life can feel like. And the bondage of the fallout of your sin. And you might be forgiven, but not free yet. And you, you, you listen, I can assure you, if you're on the wrong side of the fence, you are not free. I could take this a hundred places, but I want to take this in the most practical and helpful because some of you, the which, which fence are you tempted to jump over is not a what if, it's a you're living in it right now. So I want to, I want to hit it directly. Here's what I found in 41 years. The right friends help me stay on the right side of the fence. I have never consistently stayed on God's side of the fence by myself. You're a pastor and you've been to theology school and you know, yeah, I know all the scriptures, but I have an appetite like everyone else does. And if I don't have the right friends, I will not stay on the right side of the fence. In fact, 
That's why when you tell your buddy, listen, we're both going to the gym tomorrow, you more consistently show up to the gym. It's why if, if your wife's going to see the credit card statement, you more consistently don't overspend because someone else is in it with you. It's why I believe so many young men have mullets today because no one would grow a mullet by themselves. <laughs> right? I think they're awesome, by the way. I don't, I don't have the guts to do it. But no one is the, like, who's the first guy to go, here's business front, party back, let's go. And you show up to school. Like, no, you do it with four or five friends. Like, the, the, the friends that surround you determine where you're going with life. Paul says it in Romans. Listen, I want to be around you so that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That is, iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. That's why we talk about groups here. See, small groups are not a program or ministry that we do that we're like, come do our program. It's your lifeline. It's how you don't get devoured by sin. It's how you don't wreck your marriage, your parenting, your character, your life. And so I want to give you Two types of friends, because it's the right friends keep me on the right side of the fence. Two types of friends. Here's what bad friends do. Bad friends help me climb over the fence. And they say, if you love me, you'll help me climb over the fence. This is what most of our culture believes friendship should be. Hey, I want to be over there. And I go, oh, I'm your friend. I'm going to give you a boost. It's a terrifying thing. You say, I have friends. I don't need a small group. If this is your friends, you're in trouble. Here's what a good friend is. They keep me from climbing over the fence. And they say, I love you too much to let you climb over the fence. See, we define love in our culture as I accept you and I help you feed whatever desire or appetite you have. And God defines love as I'm going to tell you the truth and protect you from what's on the other side. And I'm telling you, if your friends don't stand at the gate and go, dude, I love you too much. When I was in college, I overshare. When I was in college, when I get an AIM message, anybody? Nobody? All right, I'm old. And that one girl sends the message. My friend goes, who was it? I go, it's her. He's like, and we're locking the door. You're staying here tonight. You know why? Because he doesn't want me to climb the fence. When you're out with your buddies and you had a had a drink, and you're having a second, and you're like, hey, order me a third, and he goes, no. Come on, dude. You're limiting my freedom. No, he's not. He loves you too much to let you jump the fence. I don't know what your sin struggle is. I don't know where you're tempted to jump it, but if you're living a life where either A, you have friends that want to boost you over, or B, you're on your own trying to hold fences, you will find yourself with the least amount of freedom you've ever experienced in your life. See, because freedom is not a life of no limits. It's a life of God's fences, and you stay on this side of them. And you can measure freedom in 30 seconds and say, or you can measure sin in 30 seconds and say, this is awesome. This is freeing. Call me in the next 30 seconds. And if I could share my heart for you, I don't want you to do religious stuff. I don't want you to, hey, get in here and just follow the rules. That's how I grew up in church. Follow the rules. I'm telling you, that God's fences are not legalistic religious rules that he wants you to do to join his religion. They're fences that he wants to put up to protect you. Because we oftentimes pretend like sin is a stuffed animal. 
and we talk in trust, yeah, it's scary. Sin could do bad things to you. Be careful. All sin is not. Sin destroys marriages and kids and generations and cultures. It destroys your identity and who you are. It destroys your mental health, how you view yourself, your value. And we, we play with it. And I'm about to show you a video that's aggressive. And so if you don't want to watch it, turn away. Now, it's not like gruesome, but it's aggressive. And if you need to look down, it's okay. I need to tell you that the girl in the video today is absolutely fine, fully recovered. So take that drama out of the way. But I want you to see something. And my prayer, I talked to our guys and we were split. Show it or don't show it. I'm going to take the risk because I think the risk of us taking sin lightly is bigger. So I want you to see two things in the video. I'm going to narrate it. The first is I want you to see how dangerous sin is. And second, I want you to see what a small group actually does. Roll the video. I'm going to narrate. This is a kid's birthday party at a reptile zoo. Got the fences. She's reaching her hand through the fence. And that's what sin does. And when you get playing around with things outside the fence, sin will put you in bondage. The bite of sin grabs you and pulls you in and you're over your head faster than you know what to do with yourself. That guy in the yellow shirt is not a worker at the zoo. It's a dad at a birthday party. Wasn't ready for the moment. What does a small group do? When you get caught up in sin, it jumps in there with you and stops the alligator from death rolling on your arm and stands there and says, listen, this is going to destroy you if you keep, keep playing around with this sin. And as you sit and watch this man lay on top of the alligator, talk her through it, say, we're going to get through this. Eventually, what he helps her do is he helps her find freedom. And the very thing that you can play with and think, this is a toy. When you think this is sin and not that, you will just jump fences all over the place. But when you realize, students, when you realize that sin you're playing around with could cost you the rest of your life, you see sin different. And listen, you might have looked at small groups for your whole life. I said, yeah, man, that's like a cool thing to do, and we'll meet up, and we'll talk about stuff. Small groups are the people you call and the people that jump in with you when you are in bondage to sin. They're the people you call. We're like, dude, I'm about to stick my hand in the alligator tank again. I'm on my way. Don't do it yet. I'll be right there. And you might have looked at small groups very passively and as, as an option of something you can do. And I'm telling you today, small groups are what keep you from destroying your life. And so the pastors are going to step up in a second. And we're unapologetically going to invite you to join a small group. And I show the video so you see it right. This is not a cool thing our church is doing. This is how you keep yourself from destroying your life by jumping over God's fences. So you, you might today, the most spiritual, meaningful thing you can do with your life is simply to text groups to 37748. We're going to help you sign up for one. In your lobbies, we got people ready to help you sign up. I'm telling you, you are never more vulnerable when then, than when you are on your own in isolation trying to fight off fences. And our church is a place where you don't have to live isolated. So pastors, I want you to step up. And I'm going to give you a little more, a little more gas in the tank. 
I want you to unapologetically invite our church. Get into a group so that you can find the freedom that God offers. Pastors, would you lead us in this? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.